The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. And one of the things that we started off just happened, what what is a spirit-filled church look like? And one of the things that we started off just happened to be is last Sunday we talked about baptism because we have baptism. And today we're talking about Lord's Supper. Um, Basically, we're talking about the ordinances of the church. God left us two ordinances. So since we're observing them last Sunday and observing one this Sunday, we'll talk about them. So take God's word, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And folks, the deeper I get into the word of God, the more I study the Bible the more I read about church history, and folks, the more I learn about the human nature, the more I understand about this deep, deep significance of what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And again, there's two ordinances that the church communion, baptism, and folks, both of them were ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ. Both of them were ordained, both of them were initiated by our Lord Jesus And this morning, I want to share you some communion thoughts, what the Bible has to say about the Lord's Supper. And folks, you know, we must understand, and it's important for us to understand, that there is a right way and a wrong way approaching the Lord's Supper. And, you know, in your home, there's table manners, if you will. In your home, I'm sure you have table manners, right? You have certain rules, certain rules or etiquettes that you follow. Now, certain rules, I think, are true for most people, and there are different ones in each home as well, but for in general, you don't reach over others, right? When you, if you want to salt or other dishes, you ask someone to please pass it over. You don't speak with your mouth full, right? Unless your name is Dad. You maybe wait till everybody's seated before you eat. And in most homes, you wait until the blessing is asked upon the meal, right? And you hope the person that's asking for the blessing is not going to pray for every missionary around the world for, right? You ask somebody, sometimes we'll have people over, and they'll ask somebody to ask for a blessing on the food. And it starts out, bless my grandchildren. They name them one by one and so forth. And you're like, I just wanted the minimum coverage here, you know? But at the Lord's table, there are rules here as well, proper manners. And Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and we're kind of familiar with the Corinthian church. We talked about them in chapter 13, the great chapter of love. So there's many things that Paul addresses with the Corinthians, but in chapter 11, in the first two verses, he says, imitate me just I also imitate Christ. And then verse 2 says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep traditions just I delivered them to you. So even though there was problems, he also said, hey, at least I appreciate you guys that you remember things I taught you and traditions. But the traditions is not really a proper word here. If you look at the King James Version, it says, be you followers of me, even as I'm also of Christ. And then he says in verse 2, now praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances, not traditions. So there's a distinction because it was ordained and instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want our church to look at communion as a tradition, something we just do. Because the Lord Jesus Christ did not start a tradition. 
And then he goes on and says in the Bible, it says, if you keep these ordinances, you are worth praising. He's praising them. So today we're going to look at three things, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, the preparation for the Lord's Supper, and participation. It means how are we to approach this table that we have in front of us? You know, in some churches, again, the Lord's Supper is over-exalted. It counts as something sacred. In other churches, it's very denigrated, loaded, treatly, treat lowly. You know, it's a ritual. It's just juice and crackers. And again, you have the very left and the very light. The right in some churches teach things that I believe they're not taught in the Bible, how some of these elements turn into actual blood and, and the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, there's a word for that kind of teaching. It's a Greek word, my favorite word. That's just baloney, folks. Um, because if you think about it, here's the Lord Jesus Christ himself sitting there before them. And he's saying, this bread is becoming me. He's right there in off, right in front of them. So uh, there's many illustrations that Jesus used pertaining to himself. He said, I am the bread of life, right? He said, I am the wine, you are the branches. He says, I am the door. Well, does that mean Jesus is a loaf of bread, a plant, and a door? No. These are pictures that are describing his nature, his character. And when he said, this is my body, didn't literally mean it's his body. It's a symbol of what he did for us. And also the Lord's Supper, I want you to understand, does not have any saving effect. There's no saving grace when you participate in the Lord's Supper because Jesus died once and for all. He paid it in full. And there's nothing else to be added to that. In Titus 3, 5, we read, not by work of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration of a renewing of the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's no salvation, just like we talked about in the baptism. There's no salvation in the Lord's Supper. So again, we have two extremes. And the other extreme is it's only a ritual. And folks, we need to understand that this is not just a rich, rich, ritual. Uh, it's vitally important. It's necessary for obedience. It's necessary for maturity. It's necessary for testimony. And it's necessary for your own spiritual growth. And again, you have two ditches on the left and the right, and the devil don't care which one you wreck on as long as he keeps you off the main road. So what is Lord's Supper? If I can explain it to you this way, my boss called me last week and said, you need to come into the office and clean it out. You're going to be a permanent remote employee. You're never coming back to the office. So I went in the office. I haven't been there for over a year. <laughs> and I have photographs in my office of my family, a couple of gadgets. And if you were to ask me, why do I have photos of family of my desk, because I can't remember what they look like, I would answer no, these pictures are not there to inform my intellect, but they're there to touch my heart. When I look at those pictures, you know, when I haven't seen them for a year, when I go back to the desk and I see them, see those pictures of my loved ones, and I think of what each of them means to me. And they also served as a protection thing for me when I was going at work, and you know you're about to lose it. And you look at Stella, and you're like, 
She got golf lessons and tennis lessons I got to pay for, so I can't say anything. So they're to kind of to calm me down. And one of my favorite pictures is Stella. And every time I look at it, it reminds me of her saying, Papa, can this be our new secret ice cream place? See, our old ice cream place, secret ice cream place, was Grater's. Until I took her to that Capala Gelato place in Vestaville, and she loved it so much. She was, you know, she's still small, but she was even smaller and cuter and didn't talk back as much. She was like, Papa, can this be our new ice cream place? Our new secret ice cream place. And, you know, we took a picture together eating ice cream. The value of a picture is emotional. It touches our hearts. And the Lord Jesus Christ did exactly that. When he left this for us, he left the snapshot of himself to remember him by. And we should pause and look at it often. When we do, it should remind us his great love for us that he showed to us on the cross. It should fill our hearts with desire to see him when he comes again. And we should ask ourselves, really, am I ready to meet him? Is there anything in my life that needs to be dealt with before the bridegroom comes? Are we ready to meet him? <clears throat> so there's three things. And again, the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Look at chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. <clears throat> Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper... For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame to those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord, which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, when we say in remembrance, we're not talking about, folks, remembering somebody that's died and is gone, is no longer here. Jesus was speaking to those who were in his presence, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. It wasn't away from him saying, hey, I'm going to be gone never going to see you again. Because in Hebrews 13.5, he says, for he himself said, I would never, never leave you or forsake you. Now, remember this about the Lord's Supper. It's not a funeral. We are remembering his presence. It's not a silence for the dead or whatever. It's an act of fellowship with a friend. He's with us just like he was with the disciples. And says, do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus Christ is here with us this morning. He's at this table. He's the host, and we are fellowshipping with him. So it's not the cup. It's not the bread, folks. Sometimes we just look at the symbols too much, and we forget to look at Jesus, at his presence with us. We also to remember the provision of the Lord, not only the presence. In verse 24, it says this, and when he given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Think of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you and what he has provided for you. That's the provision. Well, what did he do? We often say Christ died for my sins, right? 
We often say that, and that is true. But try looking at it this way when he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Try saying Christ died because of my sins. Christ died for me. That's what we say. But we need to say Christ died instead of me. That's the provision. This is my body which is broken not for you, but because of you. How can we look at that and try to understand that? How can we partake carelessly, hold these elements, these symbols that mean so much that Jesus left for us to remember him by? Not only that, we need to remember the passion of the Lord, his presence, his provision, and his passion. If you look at verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink of this cup, proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So, so when we're taking this bread, it represents the wheat that has been crushed, ground fine, and put in the oven, and it was baked. And when we say drink divine, it's basically saying that's the blood of the grape. And this morning, folks, we need to remember what the passion of Christ was. And we can't carelessly participate and think of what Jesus did with his death and resurrection, what does that mean for you? You know, I heard an illustration of a pastor. He was preaching about everything that Christ has done on the cross for us. And then he shared a story about a fisherman who went fishing with his dog. And it was not a very good illustration. It was kind of gruesome. He talked about, and I'm going to skip some of the details because it is pretty inappropriate, I would think. But it drives the point home. He said the fisherman went fishing and took his dog. Now, he was a very serious fisherman, and he was sitting there quietly, and all of a sudden the fish started coming up and pulling, the dog started barking. So he scared the fish off. Well, the fisherman got really angry and let's just say he killed the dog, you know, cut off its paws and threw him over and all that kind of stuff. It was a very gruesome thing. And the point was, everybody in the audience, including myself, we were kind of repulsed by it. We were like, what? But then he said, you know, I just told you a story, made-up story about a dog, and you should have seen some of your faces. But over and over, we talk about the passion of the Lord and what he did for us on the cross. There's no expression. There's no expression. Could it be that this death on the cross has been so familiar to us, we're so used to it, that it's just kind of there. We don't think about it. How gruesome was Jesus' death? How gruesome was that everything that he had to put up with and go through because of me? So we need to remember his presence, his provision, and his passion that is proclaimed the Lord till death till he comes. And what's the purpose? When we're doing this, if you look at verse 29, it says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So this word, not discerning, when I was looking at it, what it literally means, not understanding, not perceiving, not concentrating on the Lord's body. Well, does he mean his physical body, or does he mean, here is he talking about the church? And folks, I think he's talking about both. 
I believe we take the Lord's Supper, we should be watchful. We should be mindful of the broken body that shed the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He died in agony, blood upon the cross. And we should be mindful of our brothers and sisters because we are one in bond of love. So that's why we had the series on love. And I hope some of you got some of those points and our foundation of this church is going to be that love. You see what happened, people here have become taking Lord's Supper, but rather than taking the Lord's Supper at the Corinthian church, we discussed it a little bit, it turned into a party. People started getting drunk, eating, and so forth. They were not discerning for the Lord's body for what he actually did on the cross. And they showed no respect to the actual people in the church because everyone was eating and drinking and doing whatever, disregarding the poor. But in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, he says, For though many are one, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, and we are all partake of that one bread. We're all one. That's the Lord's body. That's what he's saying here. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, he says, For by one spirit we're all baptized into one body. That's why it's important that we come together and we take the Lord's Supper and we need to understand Lord's Supper is an ordinance. It shows that bond of love together in Grace Fellowship Church. So those are the purposes of the Lord's Supper. So how should we prepare? What's the preparation? Well, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Paul writes, But let man examine himself, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And sometimes when we come to church, not all of us are prepared to participate in the Lord's Supper. How can we be prepared? Who is it for? Well, obviously, it's for the redeemed. First, believers share the work of Christ as they partake in the Lord's Supper. Just like he shared the meal with his followers, he's sharing it with us. If you look at Acts 2.42, it says, And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and prayers. And folks, all throughout the New Testament... The picture of the Lord's Supper is being always celebrated in the context of body of Christ, the church, the covenant community. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 20, 21, it says, Rather than all the things which Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. And then he says in verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of the demons. You cannot partake in the Lord's table and the table of demons. So this table is for believers only. You cannot hold the world, folks, with one hand and try to hold the Lord with another. That's, somebody said it's half saved, and to be half saved, that to be lost altogether. It doesn't matter how many times you've been to church. If you have not transferred your trust, if you have not trusted in Christ for salvation and submitted to him as Lord and Savior, then, folks, this is not for you. This communion is not, this meal is not for you to participate in. It's for those who are celebrating what Christ has done in their lives. It's only for those who have been saved. But not only those who have been saved, but also reconciled. It says in 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen, For the first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are many, there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. So there's divisions among the believers in the church. And he says, in result, God's going to judge you. 
And folks, when we come to the Lord's table and this morning, if there's any animosity towards another human being in your heart, even if you don't know him, let's say like the government, if there's bitterness, grudge that you can't let go of, do not participate in the Lord's Supper. Does that mean you have to agree with what others have done? No, you don't. It doesn't mean that you have to approve what others have done, but I'm telling you that in your heart, you lack that spirit of reconciliation, spirit in your heart, and you participate, you're going to be dealing dangerously when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Because in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, in the Sermon of the Mount, what we call, Jesus says this, therefore, if you bring gift to the altar, there remember that your brother has something against you. And verse 24 says, leave it. Leave your gift there before the altar and you go away. Be, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You see, because the Lord's Supper is a family meal and the Lord of the family desires that his children love one another and care for one another. It is impossible for a true Christian, folks, to get closer to his Lord and at the same time be separated from his fellow believers. In 1 John 4.11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And remember, think back to our love series. Does love mean always accepting and approving? No. That's not biblical love. But we should make every effort to what leads to peace. In Romans 14, 19, it says, Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. So sometimes it's impossible, folks, for you to reconcile with someone because you may go apologize or the other person may be mad at you because you pointed out something biblically true and they're refusing to accept it. So you can't control how the other person reacts. They may forgive you. They may not forgive you. But you did everything from your side. You can be at peace. Because in Romans, Paul continues to write and says in Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, leave peacefully with all men. You can't control some people. But everything you did from your side, you can be at peace. And the Lord's Supper is a symbol of unity. When we participate together as a church, it shows unity in the church as well, in the body of Christ. Not only if it's for the redeem and reconcile, it's for the reverend. Folks, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 11, verses 20 22, it says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and the other is drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? I shall praise you on this. He says, I do not praise you. Sometimes people say we need to go back to the Old Testament church, but sometimes if we look at the Corinthian church, it's one church we got to avoid. And friend, in this new Corinthian church, there's all this chaos going on. They didn't understand what the Lord's Supper was. Everybody's doing their own thing and so forth. People are getting drunk, the hungry People are going hungry because they're, they're poor and, and these rich people that are in the church, they just bring in stuff to eat and they just eat it all themselves. 
But yet, in 1 Corinthians, he said, in 11, 2, he says, I praise you that you remember me in all these things and you keep the traditions. Again, traditions is ordinances. He's praising them for all that, that they're having the Lord's Supper and so forth, but he's not praising them on how they handled it. It wasn't being reverent. It wasn't respectable. It wasn't humble. It wasn't remembrance of the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was just a feast, a drunken party, and they failed to be reverent, being respectful of what these symbols mean. We need to understand that what it deals with, it deals with the shed blood of the broken body of the Son of God. And never, we should never joke around with elements in our hands and what they mean and handle them loosely, not only for the reverent, but also for the repentant. If you look at 1 Corinthians 11 in verses 28 to 30, he says, but a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Folks, we need to realize that before we take communion, it involves deep confession of sins. We're recalling not just sin in general, but specific sin. Is there things that we said last week? Did we have any thoughts that were not pure or evil thoughts towards the love of brother or sister. Maybe it's the images that we looked on internet, TV. Maybe it's the actions we've taken. Maybe it's the bitterness we felt. Maybe it's gossip. We heard Mike read today, and this is prophet Isaiah. When he spent more time in presence of the Lord, he said, woe, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, you would think he was a pastor, a preacher, whatever, and he has unclean lips. But that's why the Bible says, examine yourself, not your brother or sister. Examine yourself. So what he did was he examined himself. And what did he compare himself to? The Scripture. He wasn't comparing him to the old prophets. He was being in the presence of God. And in 1 Corinthians 11, 31, 32 says, For if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord and that many condemned with the world. You see, God doesn't judge us because he hates you, but because he loves us. God loves you just the way you are, you know, and sometimes we just leave it at that. No, he loves you just the way you are, but he loves you so much that he won't let you stay that way. You see, it's very important for us to understand how fair God is if you've read in verse 31, it says, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. So if we compare ourselves to the Scripture and we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. God says, before I get involved, I want you to check yourself. Before I start judging, judge yourself. Do you see how he's given that to us? I'm going to judge my own self, but we have to do it in light of the Scriptures, not make excuses for us. But when we don't, we are chasing discipline, 
So this is the time to deal with it, examine ourselves. Folks, and we need to understand, examine ourselves does not mean we condemn ourselves or how bad. No, you examine yourself, you confess your sins. But when we keep silent, when we keep silent about our sin, unconfessed sin, it's the most foolish things you can do. David, right in Psalm uh, 32, verses 3 to 5, I'm going to read it in two different translations. But New King James Version says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old throughout my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into drought in summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And then I want to read to you from a New Living Translation. I don't like to use it much, but sometimes it's simpler to understand. It says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Isn't that the same thing as Paul is saying? If you participate in the unworthy matter. Many of you are sick. Many of you are sick. And some sleep. He didn't say night-night sleep. Some of you actually pass away. And then he moves on in verse 4, says, Day and night, and hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. My guilt is gone. So, how fair is our God when he says, Before I judge you, examine yourself. Examine yourself. And the reason some of us are sick, our bodies are being wasted away, because you're not examining yourself. You're living in unconfessed sin. So if we have sin, we need to deal with it. So it's for the redeemed, it's for reconciled, it's for reverence, for the repentant. So how do we participate? Again, in verse 2, he says, you keep the ordinances, but then in verse 28, he says, examine yourself. So what I want you to understand is you don't condemn yourself for the sin because in this verse 28, he says, let a man examine himself. And then he says, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. He doesn't say examine yourself and don't eat. He says examine yourself and eat. When we examine ourselves, when we can confess our sins, we can judge it. And we judge it, you know what God does? He forgives it. He forgives it. See, what we uncover to God, God forgives. What we cover, God uncovers. It's not like we're hiding something from God. He's given us the opportunity to confess it. It's a time of covenant. Look again in verse 25. It says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after saying, this cup is a new covenant of my blood. Do this in, as often as you drink in remembrance of me. It's a covenant, blood covenant. It means it's an agreement with God, an agreement with another, one another, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ here. It's time of fellowship and communion. In verse 26, he says, For often as you eat this bread and drink of this club, proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. He says, you eat what I eat, you drink what I drink. It's a fellowship. So that's how we should partake in the Lord's Supper. We should remember the presence of the Lord, the provision of the Lord, the passion. What was the purpose of this? 
he left us two pictures, really. Baptism was one of them. Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper, pretty much the same thing. See, baptism we do once, right? But then you can't just look at that picture and then put it away in the drawer. We continue to look at that picture by participating in the Lord's Supper. So we need to ask ourselves questions. Are we redeemed? Are we reconciled? Are we approaching this with a clean heart, with a respectful, humble way? Do we have any unconfessed sins? Because in 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So let us prepare our hearts for communion today and do exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ and Paul wrote here. Let a man example, examine himself. So let's take a few moments and do just that. Father, we come now to the table. We ask that you would open up our hearts to self-examination. Lord, may you ask that you cleanse us may become as humble sinners with no self-righteousness so that we may not be chastened but blessed. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus and his sacrificial death upon the cross for the redemption of the world. Father, we give you thanks for this bread and wine as symbols of Jesus' broken body and blood that was shed for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.